We have somewhat of an interesting Easter Sunday text this morning where we're going to be focusing on our future hope for the sake of present holiness in our lives. Our future hope for the sake of present holiness. So here it is, Philippians 3, 20-21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. This Easter Sunday, we don't have a new truth to proclaim, but we have a foundational truth for us to remember. It's a truth that all Christians believe, that our Savior is a resurrected Savior. He's a risen Savior. We don't worship a resurrected Savior once a year, my friends, because He is a resurrected Savior all year long and forevermore. But perhaps what is foundational for the church this morning might be somewhat new to you. And if that's the case, then I want to welcome you. I want to praise the Lord for bringing you here this morning. And my prayer is that our risen Savior would become yours today. Now as we, as we begin, let me just ask you all a question. Just keep this question in the back of your mind as we look at some of the words here in Philippians 3. My question is this, what motivation do you think that Paul would give for Christians to live a holy life? What motivation do you think that he would give for believers in Christ to live a holy life? So you just keep that question in the back of your mind because our text is going to answer it. Christianity is not just about the what's and what to do. There are foundational whys that undergird all of it. We're going to get to see that this morning. Now Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see that that verse, Philippians 3.20, begins with the word for. And that tells us that these verses that we just read are the motivation for something that Paul commanded in a previous verse. It's like he's saying this, do something that I told you to do over here for or because of verses 20 through 21. And so we go back a little ways to verse 17 and we'll see the command. Verse 17, Paul is talking about imitating Him in holiness. He says, Brethren, join in following my example. You see that? Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. So Paul walked in holiness, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's telling us to imitate Him. He's telling us to imitate Others who've walked in the same path of holiness. He's calling Christians to a life of holiness. That's his command in verse 17. And in verse 20, he gives gives us a motivation for why. A motivation for living a life of holiness. Be holy, verse 17, 
because of verses 20 through 21. So we should gaze this morning at the truth, the marvelous truth in these two verses and be motivated with all of our might to live a life of holiness. So what motivation do you think Paul would use to encourage Christians to do that? That was my question at the beginning. And so perhaps you've thought, maybe you thought that Paul would use fear to motivate us towards holiness. Perhaps he might just double down on the commands and say to do them simply just because God said so. Now, there are places in the Bible that use those motivations. God is in charge. We ought to do things because he says so. It is our sin that we are disobedient to him. And surely we ought to operate under a fear of the Lord, a reverence for him. But that's not the motivation that the Apostle Paul uses in these verses. And what I'm praying for, for this Easter, is that we would have a category in our hearts and in our minds for striving towards holiness by looking at the truth in verses 20 through 21. Because here, Paul does not use fear or guilt to motivate us. He uses hope. Future hope. He lays before us our future hope of Jesus giving us resurrected bodies. And he uses that future hope as the motivation for present holiness. Future hope for present holiness. As it says, for our, for our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait For a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. By the exertion of the power. This is how He does it. By the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. Future hope for present holiness. And so our job this morning is to gaze at the beauty that is to come for believers. And I trust that if you're truly in Christ, that will be motivation enough for you. To gaze upon the power of the resurrected Lord and the future hope that you have in order to stand strong in the present. In order to stand faithful in the present. Gazing upon Jesus to become more like Him. That you wouldn't need carnal means to motivate you. Spiritual means. And so we have three things to meditate on this Easter in these verses. First, let's ponder that Jesus will transform our bodies. Second, let's ponder the power Jesus has to do this. And third, let's ponder our citizenship as Christians in heaven. Three things, we'll take them one at a time. First, let's set our gaze on the hope that we have as Christians that Jesus will transform our bodies and He will transform them into a glorified body like His. Here's what the text says. We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. So transformation from the body of our humble state into the body of His glory. Humiliation to glorification. Notice verse 21 says our current bodies 
are bodies of a humble state. Literally, they're bodies of humiliation. And even as Christians, we have bodies of humiliation. Yes, we have a hope that will never perish, but we currently have flesh and bones that will. Our hope is one that never fades, but our bodies do wither away. Believers can blister. Professors of Christ can still be possessors of calamity. Our skin wrinkles, our eyesight fades, our bones grow brittle. Haven't we over this past year seen many people become reminded that our bodies can face exposure to diseases? Christians can catch COVID. The faithful can get the flu. In other words, the born again still on this side of eternity have bodies of humiliation. And I think as you grow older, you'll become more and more aware of this, which means that this truth here becomes more and more precious and beautiful. And you know, just by mere observation, that Christians are still in their bodies of humiliation. They've been given a new life, but they haven't yet been given new bodies. The surgeon has given them a new spiritual heart. But the heart in our chest will one day stop beating. No Christian is automatically free from dying the slow death of cancer. No believer with a transformed mind is immune to Alzheimer's. Those made whole in Christ can still be torn to pieces. Believer or not, we all get cuts and bruises and diseases and all sorts of calamities. We grow weak and frail. We have bodies of humiliation. But verse 21 says Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Now, this assumes something absolutely spectacular. The only way that we can be transformed into a body of glory like Jesus's body of glory is if Jesus himself indeed has a body of glory. And the only way that Jesus could have a body of glory is if his body was resurrected. The resurrection of Jesus is a spectacular reality that has already been referred to in in the letter of Philippians. If you flip back to Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read once again for us what Paul says about Jesus. Philippians 2 verses 6 through 11 says, Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He took on a body of humiliation. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, not only by becoming a man, but by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the eternal Son of God is God 
and he became a human being. He took on a body of humiliation and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he did all of this to pay the penalty for sinners. Yet he's risen from the grave. And now he's been given glory and power and authority over all things. And one day, everyone will confess that he is Lord. Friends, when Jesus rose from the dead, he had a body. And he has a body now. We read from Luke chapter 24 a little earlier. And we saw how he appeared to the disciples and he appeared to countless others. And in one sense, they they couldn't recognize him. But in another sense, they could see his scars. In one sense, he seemed to just appear to him, uh, appear to them almost out of nowhere. And the disciples thought that they might have been seeing a spirit. But in another sense, Jesus said, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he had flesh and bones. He had a body. In fact, the disciples even fed him fish. He could eat. With this body. So the resurrected Lord has a real body that is both familiar in some ways and unfamiliar in others. In some ways, it's like what we know bodies to be. But in other ways, it's beyond comprehension. It's a body, but a body of glory. And Philippians 3.21 says, Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity With the body of his glory. You know, I think a lot of us can be confused as to what our final state is going to be as Christians. That when everything is said and done, we'll just be spirits, right? Floating, floating around somewhere in in heaven um, where there's white clouds and there's like these floating naked babies that are shooting arrows and everything is very ethereal, very cloudy and foggy. This mystical spirit world. But that's not true. When we die, here's what's going to happen. For believers, our bodies will go into the ground and our souls will be with the Lord in heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there is a way to be absent from the body and we will be present with the Lord. But that is not the end. There will be a resurrection of our bodies There will be a new heavens and a new earth. The world and our bodies will be radically transformed. But it will be a material world. And we will be human. You were always intended to be human. God will make all things brand new as they were supposed to be in the garden before sin. And even more so, beyond our imagination. Friends, this is the hope for God's people. Here's how it appears in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed for this perishable. It's like the 
body of humiliation. This perishable must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and when this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? No more pain. No more weakness. No more sickness. No more death. No more body of humiliation. Jesus is going to change his church in the twinkling of an eye. Christians will be transformed from their body of humiliation into the likeness of his body of glory. To live with him forever and to love him forever. And friends, without the resurrection which we celebrate on this morning, none of this would happen. None of us would have this hope. So we've pondered that Jesus will transform our bodies. Next, let's ponder the power of Jesus to raise from the dead. Let's ponder His power to actually do this. You know, to, to raise from the dead and to raise all of His people from the dead requires power, immense power. I can prove it. Go try it. You can't do it. it. Requires immense power that we can't even fathom. Look what Paul tells us. He tells us that Jesus is going to do this by his power. And then he tells us all about what kind of power this power is. So look at verse 21 again. It tells us that Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How? By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Now notice with me a couple of things that number one. Jesus already has this power. It says he will raise you up by the exertion of the power that he has, not by the power that he will have. In other words, Jesus isn't waiting around until the last day to sometime gain this immensity of power to be able to do this. He has it all at this very moment. But notice also the type of power that Jesus has. The type of power that he will exert is a power to subject all things to himself. So you might sit here, you might wonder, how can I have confidence that Jesus is going to raise me up on the last day if I'm a believer? The answer is, is that you can have confidence because Jesus is going to do it by his power. And that power is able to bring everything into subjection to himself. The text says all things, all things obey the voice of the Lord. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. By the finger of God, he cast out demons. By a simple command, he could have storms stop. By him, all things were created, visible and invisible. And if you want to know if Jesus truly has this power, the Bible tells us he is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
Jesus has power to subject all things to himself. And that's the power that he will use to give his Christians a glorified body. So you tell me, if he can subject all things to himself, what could stop him from doing this? Maybe opposition. Maybe opposition could keep him from raising you up. But it says he'll bring all things into subjection. And the word subjection seems to also indicate that there might be some opposition. Warriors, sinners, Satan himself. But all will be brought into subjection. All will be brought into submission. That's his power. And so he can certainly raise you up. But what if you die and centuries go by? What about the saints of old who've been subject to decay for centuries and centuries? Well, friend, if your body has been subject to decay, he can bring your decaying body under subjection to himself. He has power to command all things, even your decaying bones. So he can certainly raise you up on the last day. But what if your body is devoured by worms? And it's distributed in the dust and the dirt across miles and miles. And it's just who knows where it is. Well, then that's even more reason for you to believe that you are in a body of humiliation. But it's no less a reason to believe that Jesus can transform it. Jesus created the worms and he created the birds that ate them and dispersed the body all over. He certainly won't let them have their way against his will. So he can certainly raise you up no matter how dispersed and how displaced you are. But what if your body was cremated or lost at sea and swallowed by some massive animal under there that we don't even know about or completely gone from the human eye? My dear friends, it's, we should be praising God that he won't raise us up by the power that we have. Or by the frailty of our understanding to know how he can do it. Jesus will raise us up by the exertion of the power he has. And that power brings all things into subjection to himself. So he can certainly raise you up on the last day. And so we've pondered that Jesus will transform our bodies. And we've pondered the power that he has to do it. Lastly, let's ponder our citizenship in heaven. Verse 20 is very clear. For our citizenship is in heaven. Everyone who trusts in Jesus is a citizen of heaven. And I want to mention a few things here. First, our citizenship in heaven should certainly be displayed by our lives. If we're citizens in heaven, then yes, we live in the world, but we live in it as foreigners. And our lives should show it. I mean, think about whenever you meet someone who's come, who comes from somewhere else. And you can just kind of tell because maybe they speak differently. And you might ask them, hey, where are you from? Or you're not from around here, are you? I know that when my wife and I, whenever we travel to India or Kenya, it's immediately obvious that we are not from there. It's abundantly clear that our citizenship is in another land. My dear friends, our lives should have an accent. 
As Ephesians 2 tells us, we used to walk according to the course of this world. We used to walk according to the ways of Satan. But now we have a new national anthem. It's First Peter 2, 9-10. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you were once not a people... But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our citizenship should be displayed by our lives. It should also be displayed by our mouths. I recall the Apostle Paul who elsewhere calls us ambassadors of Christ. So that we speak on behalf of the King. We live here in this land, but we have a message from another And as ambassadors, it's not our job to change the message of the gospel. I mean, sure, we need to understand the people that we're speaking to. We need to help people to grasp the truths of God. But the message is God's message, and it's not ours to edit it. No matter how much the culture wants us to. So as much as our lives should display our citizenship, so should our mouths. But lastly, just consider the blessings. Of being a citizen of heaven. To be citizens of heaven is to have every spiritual blessing. Paul says. It's to be sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's to have communion with the Father because of our union with the Son. Citizens of heaven enjoy communication with their homeland. We're blessed to speak to our king through prayer and to have him speak to us through his word. And we not only have a king, but he is to us a father. Those blessed with this citizenship have a peace beyond understanding. We have joy inexpressible and an inheritance that is imperishable. And we also have a family A family that's called the church. A family in which no matter what's happened in your biological family, in this family, you gain a hundredfold in brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And of course, this citizenship is everlasting. Everything that happens is worked for the good of these citizens. And every salvation promise is secure. None of it is going to slip through the hands of God. The resurrected Lord will come again and he will raise up his beloved people. These are the blessings of our citizenship. And so my question to you is this. Are you a citizen of heaven? Do you have the hope of resurrection? Do you have a relationship with the all-powerful, resurrected Christ? If you're not a Christian this morning, verses 20 through 21 don't describe you. But verses 18 through 19 do. There are citizens of heaven and there are enemies of the cross. Verses 18 through 19, 19 say, For many walk of whom I often told you, And now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. 
So friends, does the hope of glory describe you or does an end of destruction describe you? Is Jesus your God or is your appetite your God? Do you set your mind on earthly things or is your mind set on your citizenship in heaven? Just hold the scriptures up to you as a mirror and see where you stand. Friends, if you want to become a citizen of heaven so that you can have your sins forgiven and a restored relationship with God and eternal life in his presence, there is a way. You know, many nations would have you prove yourself before you could become a citizen. You have to perform well. You have to have a clean record. You have to have a proven ability to be able to work and to contribute to society. But that's not the case here. All are welcome here. The broken, the felon, the evil, the wicked. The only way, the only way in is on your knees. It's not by your own ability, but by trusting in Jesus Christ. Friend, you are welcome into his presence as one of his children. If you know that your performance doesn't secure it. As Paul says in verse 9, he said that he did not have a righteousness of his own derived from the law, but a righteousness that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So to become a citizen of heaven is to put down your unbelief. It's to put down your self-trust and it's to cast all of your belief and all of your trust on Jesus. And then all of the promises that we've discussed this morning, especially this hope of resurrected life, will become yours in Christ Jesus. We began the sermon talking about future hope for present holiness. But we end the sermon by saying you can only have future hope through a holiness that isn't yours. Because none of our holiness measures up to the holiness of God. And we need someone to stand in our place who is perfectly holy. And that's what Jesus has done. Future hope motivates our holiness. But our present holiness could never earn our future hope. It must be Christ. It must be Christ giving you credit for his holiness and him taking all the blame for your sin upon himself on the cross. There's no other way to be saved than you placing your faith in Jesus for what he's done for you. Friend, one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, but on that day it will be too late. So please hear me, if you have not bowed your knee in humble submission and dependence upon the Lord of Lords, do it this Easter morning. There is no better time. And then you can join us as citizens of heaven. You can join us as we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself.